Amen. Written in the 1500s, folks, but spiritual warfare is still a very real and present thing. And that goes right along with our, our message today about being faithful witnesses no matter what. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 11. Revelation is in the very back of your Bibles or on your Bible app. You just push the button that says Revelation, I guess. Uh, if you'd like to use the bulletin for notes or any sermon follow-up, you can turn in the Connect card um, in the offering or at the end of the service. Um, well, our message today... Helps if my Bible's not upside down. There we go. Our message today uh, from Revelation 11 is about the church and its faithful witness. And uh, there is some confusion amongst uh, Christians or people who are, are church goers of what exactly the church is, the church. Uh, and scriptures make it clear, though. I want to be clear that the New Testament makes it clear what the church is. The church is the living body of Jesus Christ on earth. The living body, the living reality that, that Jesus is the head of, his people. The church is alive. When, when the New Testament talks about the church, even when it talks about it as a building, that we're living stones, or that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, it talks of us as living stones or a living temple. The church is not, you know, the structures, the buildings. The church is the people who follow Jesus and believe in him wherever we gather. You know, in, in a simple way, in the biblical Greek, the, the language that the New Testament was written in, the, the word ecclesia, ecclesia uh, is a word that just, it meant group. It wasn't even a religious word. It just meant like a group of people. But the, the, the followers of Jesus, when they, they talked about the group of followers of Philippi or the, the group of followers in Galatia, that, that word ecclesia or, or group eventually started getting translated into English as church. But what it really means is a group of people who follow Jesus, a gathering. That's, that's what the church is, a gathering of followers uh, wherever we may be. And now as we get to Revelation, there's other images for the church, right, that are also kind of living like a, a uh, olive trees that we're going to consider today, or one that maybe doesn't sound living at first, a, a lampstand, right, a lampstand that is supposed to hold a lamp, and the lamp is shining light, right, and the church is like a, a lampstand, and its job is to, to make a pedestal for the light of God, the light of Jesus Christ, to shine to the world, right, and we see the church is like a living temple. We're going to see this in Revelation today. Housing the presence of God's spirit. The church is, as I mentioned, olive trees that, that are bearing fruit. Fruit that can then be eaten, but fruit that can be turned into oil. Olive oil used in lamps in the ancient world to, to provide light again. Light so that people can see. So that people may see. Now, the church is also a movement of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God in the lives of real men, women, elderly, children, middle-aged, married, widowed, poor, rich, single, right? Anyone who believes in him who is sharing God's love through faith and wants to share God's truth to the world. And the good news is ultimately the true universal church of Jesus that we hear about in Revelation and the rest of the New Te Testament will never truly die. 
Let's pray as we hear more about the, the church today and, and the, the revelation from Jesus. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you alone are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You alone should we rightly fear, Lord. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. You, oh God, know what we need to hear and where we need to change in ways we can't even see right now. But you can show us, Lord. So help us to pay attention. Help the people here and online to be praying for themselves that they, that they would hear your word through this message today, Lord. Help me to get out of the way and help them to pray for me and other preachers that we would simply be declaring your truth and, and that we would not stand in anybody's way of understanding you or drawing closer to you. May you be glorified through this message and our hearing of your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we hear the scripture today, just a, just a brief question I want us to keep thinking about is why revelation? Why this book? You know, and, and the simple answer is it's part of God's word. It's in the Bible, and that's good for us, right? Of course. But it's also good for us because it's difficult. Some of you have noticed this as you read through it. This is a difficult uh, book of scripture with images and, and vision that relates to all kinds of things from ancient times or from the Old Testament and, and some things we have to dig a little bit to make sure we understand it rightly. And then you come to a chapter like we're going to be in today, uh, Revelation 11. And you know, I, I flipped through to my commentaries and some of the first lines of some of them were, this is one of the most difficult sections in the book of Revelation. And I just want to, ah, right? But that's the truth. Today we have a difficult section of Revelation. And um, so I want to give you a couple of the big points up front as we talk about why Revelation before I read it. So as we hear it, uh, you have a framework to maybe hear it. And, 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 and I just want to say, remember, God is measuring out a plan. He's revealing a plan to John, uh, the special servant of the church and to real local churches, gatherings of Christians, and he's revealing this in visions and images of what is going to happen through history and then ultimately what is going to happen in the end times. And he's revealing to John that there is a project or a plan, and in this case we're going to see at the beginning of this vision today a temple that he's going to ask John to measure, right? And God's people are the temple. And he's going he's gonna to also say that the, the people that are God's witnesses, they need to live with the, the fire of the truth of conviction. They, the people of God, the people of Christ need to live in history as God's representative, like olive trees that are living to, to provide oil for the light that the lamp may shine. And the good news is God's going to give his spirit so that his people can be faithful witnesses and as he works to the end, and, and there's, there's challenges and all kinds of things, God is going to use the, the church and his faithful witnesses to do amazing miracles that some might have their attention drawn to Jesus, that some would believe in him, even though, sadly, many will not. But still, no matter what comes, the church, the lampstands, the witnesses, as they face opposition, will also die. We're going to see that in our scripture today. They will look dead at times, but then they will be not dead because God is in charge and will raise them up and will use their witness 
their apparent deaths to reach, again, some that God wants to reach, but also to judge those who would not repent. So with this in mind, two more quick words before we hear the scripture. Why do we read Revelation? To, to persevere and to persevere for witness, right? We're not just reading Revelation for information or our own security in a sense. It is for our security in God, but so that we can persevere as his people no matter what we face. As Martin Luther wrote in the 1500s, though, even if they kill us, right? Right? So we persevere and we persevere so that we can be his witness because God is going to use people to make a difference. His people, no matter what. Okay, so let's hear the scripture. Revelation 11, starting with verse one. And John is the one, remember, receiving this. He is the I here when it says, then I. Then I was giving, given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Or that's three and a half years. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. And that's three and a half years by the Jewish calendar. Uh, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. He's referring to Jerusalem. Verse nine. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. All right. 
And so some of you are hearing that and say, no, I understand that perfectly. What are you talking about? And the commentary says, there's some, there's some difficult stuff there, and there's probably far more than I can flesh out for you today, but I'm going to flesh out the parts that the Lord's given me to share. So we see this temple at the beginning uh, that, that, that John is called to measure with like an ancient type of measuring device. So who or what? Who or what is that temple? And there's a ton of debate about the temple in our section today um, and, and what God is doing here with John measuring it. Uh, and, and, and though I can't be for certain all the different aspects that God is going to use the temple in the future history, I think one of the things God is drawing our attention to is I am doing a project, church. John, we are doing a project here, and I want you to go and see this project. I, I measure it out. I know what I'm doing, right? And, and I want to just tell you, God's doing a project through you as part of the, the beautiful body of Christ that exists throughout the globe and throughout the centuries. God knows exactly what his church looks like. You know, we see little glimpses of it as the part of it that we're part of for a time and for a place. But God knows of the whole temple, the whole body that's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You are part of that, right? You are, if you're one of his true followers, if he's drawn you into relationship with him. This is part of what I believe John was measuring, that God is going to do far more than we could ask or imagine through the centuries. God was giving John a glimpse of what he was doing. Now, he then starts talking about some witnesses, living witnesses, living like an olive tree. Here's an olive tree in Israel. I might have seen that exact olive tree. I, I couldn't find my old pictures for when I uh, traveled to Israel, but I, I was blessed to see olive trees that were still had leaves and were growing olives, and they were over 1,500 years old. And they were so old that as you looked at some of the stumps, part of the stump seemed to be petrifying and looked like stone. I guess that's what happens to a really old olive tree. And yet other parts of it were growing and producing olives. Now, there are no olive trees over 2,000 years old in, in what we call Judea or Israel because when the Jewish people revolted in A.D. 66 or 68 and then the, the Romans came in to crush them, they tore down the temple, they burned everything that could be burned, and they also cut down every fruit-bearing tree in the land. And they kicked the Jewish people out of what we call the Holy Land. And they were not to return until, until more modern times. So you're not going to find an olive tree there that's, uh, you know, over a certain age, right? But there are some that, so they can theoretically grow for over 2,000 years. But in this part of the world, there's, there's some that are 1,500 years and 1,700 years, uh, but not, not 2,000 years old. And, and then they grow olives, right? And, and the olives can be used to make oil, as I said earlier, for lamps. And in a sense, then, the 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 fruit that they are bearing is like bearing a witness of light that can be seen. And so the witnesses are like olive trees in that they contribute to God's light being shown, right? Uh, that through people who are witnessing for Christ, sharing Christ with others, through loving others, through sharing the truth of Jesus, uh, you know, light of Christ can be seen. But it says that these living witnesses 
are going to have a ministry that is connected to this idea of sackcloth. Did you hear the word sackcloth in the scripture there? You can see it in your Bible. And sackcloth has a biblical image too. It goes back to the Old Testament. Uh, sackcloth is, and is something you'd wear in a time of repentance, right? You're grieving or repenting. It's the clothing of repentance. It's the clothing of humility. When, when Jonah went and preached in Nineveh, he wasn't too excited to go there, but he preached a sermon, and it caused uh, the king to repent and the people to repent, and they, even, they put sackcloth on, and they even put sackcloth on their livestock, okay? So they were so serious about repenting, they, they, you know, they knew that they were a nation that had gone astray, and it's an example of even you know, Jonah, who is not a super faithful prophet, but God's word came through him, and people's people converted. They repented, and they, they wore sackcloth, and they called out earnestly to God, is what the story of Jonah says to us. And so God is saying, there are more witnesses to come, John. There are more witnesses to come, and, and that are going to be contributing to my living temple, and they're going to be like the prophets of old, right, that are going to come in humility and cause people to repent. And that should give us hope, that our witness is not fruitless, we're not fruitless. We're fruitful like an olive tree. We, we, we can provide something that gives light to the world and also humility. If we serve with humility, God can cause repentance. We, if we are living faithfully in Jesus' mission, we can be like the prophets of old. He gives code language here uh, about three Old Testament prophets. It's hard for us to see, but the Jewish people would have seen it. It says that... You have, they'll have the power, that witness in the future will have the power to say there is no more rain, right? Which is a strong power to have. This is, this is shorthand for the people reading this. They go, oh, the power like Elijah had? In the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet uh, knew that, that it was not going to rain, right? To get people's attention uh, in his time to repent, God was not going to allow rain, and there was no rain, Right? He was coming against false beliefs at that time and, and beliefs that allowed them to put their, their, their faith in a power politician like Ahab and his wife Jezebel and, and, and they were combining, the, their, they were taking Israel down a bad path that things like child sacrifice were happening and God, so God raised up a prophet like Elijah to, to speak the truth to them. It was a dark time but God raised up a prophet to shine light and God is saying there will be witnesses in the future and yeah, one day it might be, in case you're wondering, there might be two actual witnesses at the very end, right? But I think we are part of the tradition that is preparing that. If there's going to be two actual named witnesses, Bob and Fred, or whatever their actual names are in the future, that's great. I, but in the meantime, if I'm not one of them, and you aren't either, maybe, maybe one of you are, we are in that tradition of being witnesses like that, okay? And that tradition is connecting all the way back to people like Elijah, Okay, and, and, and Moses, who went to Pharaoh, and one of the plagues he had to do was, was turning water into blood, which is referenced here in Revelation 11. We're going to have the, the spirit with us that is the same power that allowed Moses to cast plagues upon Egypt that allowed water to be turned into blood. And Moses was used by God to confront Pharaoh, who thought him, Pharaoh thought himself a god, and was enslaving human beings, the Hebrew people. He was enslaving human beings. And, and, but God raised up Moses, an old man at that time, 80 years old, 
and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, right? And what we're hearing here is my witnesses, John, are going to have that same spirit, the spirit like Moses, the spirit like Elijah. And Jeremiah is referenced here in code language again, so to speak. It says, you will breathe fire. It will be like fire to them that can consume them. And this is, you know, almost kind of a, it's kind of a paraphrased quote from Jeremiah 5.14 that says, Jeremiah was to breathe fire. Jeremiah, again, a prophet of the Old Testament that was called to have this very difficult ministry. He basically had to tell the Jewish people, we are not pleasing God, and he is going to come take us and put us in another land. And the leaders of that time said, uh, we want another prophet, Right? And then they found prophets that, guess what, told them, you're fine how you are, be yourself. You know, they didn't say that exactly, but they just said everything's hunky-dory. They didn't say that either. Okay, they, they just basically said, you don't have to change. God loves you. We're going to be fine. And Jeremiah, his words were like fire. He kept saying, no, we're not. We got rough times ahead. And so this scripture is saying God's witnesses are also going to be like that, that have a message that isn't something that everybody's going to welcome, that tells them you can't stay just as you, how you are. Everything you think you are, that you define yourself, that isn't necessarily true. You say, I want to do this, or I feel this way. Well, fine, you feel that way, but is that what God wants for you? Now, Jeremiah and the church today comes in and says, God has a plan for you. This life isn't about how you define yourself or, or all the pleasures you want out of it. It's, it's what God wants, and God is the way to having a true life and an everlasting life. And salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we might, you might say that one line that the way to the Father is through Jesus, the way to heaven is through Jesus, and somebody will hear that as fire when you say that, right? That doesn't make it not true, <laughs> right? That was true for Jeremiah. It's true for the witnesses of today and the witnesses of the future. That's what we have to do is share the truth. The witnesses that God has in his church, the living temple, are, are witnesses that are empowered by the same, the one and the same Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And, and in the New Testament, in, in 1 John, it talks about the, the two witnesses connected to the Spirit of God. Now, I can't prove that these two witnesses is actually three because it talks about the Spirit has the witness of the water and the blood. Okay? And it calls them three witnesses, but it's the Spirit using the water and the blood. Okay? I believe you'll find that in 1 John 5, 8, if I got the address right. And, and so, the same John wrote that letter. And I wonder if he's thinking, oh, the two witnesses that God's Spirit is going to use to the church, the water and the blood. What is the water and the blood? The two of the witnesses that the church has faithfully done of all kinds of denominations through the history, baptism and the Lord's Supper, or Eucharist, or Communion that you need to be keeping faithful, telling people you need to be washed and forgiven, re-identified in the waters of baptism that you are, you are covered by Jesus Christ, washed clean, but you also need to remember that the only way that is possible is by the blood of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God died for you, that he, that he purchased your salvation through his death, and church, you need to be living witnesses that never give up on the two witnesses of the water and the blood. And the truth is, those of you who are here today and are followers of Jesus, you've experienced both those witnesses, right? And if you haven't been baptized because you don't want to be up in front of people or, some, or you're afraid of water, get over yourself. You are part of the living body of Jesus Christ and he purchased your salvation through his blood and wants to wash you clean and you're part of that. 
And if there's some other voice telling you, oh, you're not good enough to be baptized or you don't have to do that, reject that. Because there are these two witnesses, the water and the blood, the washing clean and and the sacrifice that made us be able to be washed clean and made new, right? The message of the water and the blood is for all ages. And it's one of purifying fire. It's a message, the water and the blood, simple message of Jesus Christ, hearing those messages of needing to be washed clean. We can't stay the way we are. And, and the blood of Jesus, we're so bad that that's what we needed, the death of Jesus, right? Th- that simple message keeps us from thinking we're good enough on our own or our ideas as humans are gonna save us. Uh-uh, otherwise we wouldn't need the water and the blood, right? And that's what people have realized of all different kinds of tribes and languages and cultures, you know, and even some modern people today have realized We need a fresh start from God and he's the only one that can provide it through the sacrifice of the Son of God. But the flip side of the water and the blood is, right, it's fire to those who don't want to hear it, but it's love to those whose eyes are opened. It's love. God will wash me clean after all I've done. God did die for me on the cross knowing all that I've done and would do. It's love, right? The witness of the church is a witness of love, the water and the blood. And yet, though, as witnesses throughout the centuries have said this, and the witnesses in the end times will say it, the truth is not everybody's gonna like it. It's gonna be like fire, and some people will come against that, and they will kill the witnesses. You know, I just got on my uh, internet pocket device called the telephone, right? And I was Googling, and I I just put in a line there, what happened to so-and-so from the Bible. So I put, what happened to Silas in the Bible? Martyred. What happened to Barnabas in the Bible? Martyred. What happened to Paul in the Bible? Martyred. It was a real encouraging uh, devotion for me. But, because uh, I had forgot, like, well, Barnabas, did Barnabas kind of slide through? I forget, you know? No, according to tr- tr- tradition, he was martyred. John, in fact, is one of the very few of that first generation of, of leaders that, that wasn't killed. He was exiled but not killed. Scripture says that God's gonna protect us, but it also says precious in the Lord's sight are the death of his saints. I wanna tell a hard word to the church is included in God's protection plan for you is allowing you to be killed. Now that doesn't make sense to people outside the church, but here's the deal. God says part of my protection plan for you is allowing you to be killed but no one can ever take you from me. You will be with me ultimately. And people who think God's not gonna allow you to suffer, not gonna allow you to be killed, have not read the New Testament. Our leader was killed. uh, the, The leaders that came after him were killed. Countless Christians were killed. The 20th century was the, the, the bloodiest century in Christian history of Christians dying for their faith. Death will come to God's saints but he won't lose one because he's going to protect them. He will let his witnesses die and they will be dead for a time and the world will rejoice over them and has rejoiced, whether it's Mao or Stalin or others or, or Nero who hews Christians as 
human lamps at his parties. The world will rejoice. Opposition will come towards the church of God, right? And the opposition will at times seem to win. Maybe even in our culture today, the opposition will seem to win. The opposition seemed to win when they enslaved the Hebrews in Egypt. They seemed to win when they put Jesus on the cross. Evil seemed to win. They seemed to win when they crucified Peter upside down. We've shut him up, right? He can't do anything more. They seemed to win when they cut James's head off. They, they seemed to win when they stoned Stephen to death, the religious people who stoned Stephen to, je- to death. They seemed to win when they exiled old man John to an island called Patmos. They seemed to win. The opposition seems so strong. Mao Zedong seemed so strong when he clamped down China and sent out all the missionaries and made Christianity illegal. They seemed to win. But Peter still speaks. <laughs> And you, more people know his name than the emperor that, that wanted him dead, right? And Mao Zedong is dead. And there's tens of millions, if not over 100 million believers in China now, right? The truth is that evil doesn't want us to know. There's a lot of truths about evil that evil don't, doesn't want us to know. But evil has a very limited power and a limited clock. Time is running out for evil. And evil is always desperate. And evil can't create. It can only pervert. It can only try to get you off God's track and tell you you're not helpful, you're not useful, you're not part of that living project. You're not part of the temple of God. You don't have a gift. It can tell you things like that, but those aren't the truth. That's not from God. The the evil can try to take away, but it cannot bring to life. It can try to shut us down. It can even seem to kill God's people. But you know what evil can't do? It can't save, it can't bring hope, it can't love, it cannot forgive, it cannot persevere, it cannot restore. Evil is weak and needs to be told that. And I'm talking in your lives or the lives of people you know that are struggling and and struggling and keeping in shame, right? Or thinking their lives can't be used for God. Or thinking, oh, God's called me to serve in this way, but who am I to do that? No. Speak against lies that keep us in shame or keep us from using our gifts or keep us from shining the light as the lamp stands, the living witnesses we were created to be. So what are we to learn from all these images? Quite simple. God's in charge. This is a big point of revelation. So don't give up on God. No matter what. No matter what the opposition does, no matter what you face, no matter what disease comes, no matter what happens in the age around us, no matter what our cultures, cultures start to do, because God isn't going to give up on his people. He's always going to protect us, even if that means allowing us to suffer and die, because God is in control. The timing isn't up to evil. The timing is up to God, and God has, is always working his plan. And so the people of all tribes, languages, and nations one day will take notice whether they like it or not. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so will his church be found faithful in that time? Right? So what does it mean for the church to be alive? It means believe God didn't create you to be a failure. God wants you to be a lampstand and part of his living temple. It means that God 
can work through you in every stage of life you have. Even if you lose your memory. Even if you lose ability to do something. Even if you lose some resources you have. All of those things have happened to saints in the past. And God has used them. God will use any person who loves him and loves people. That is the success in God's kingdom. So take heart, have faith in God, let the light of Christ burn brightly in you. Church, you are his lampstand. Let the oil of God grow and bubble up in you and and ignite into his light by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by anything that you have done, but because God wants to work through you. May the love of Christ come out of you and fear not any force that wants to keep you from sharing him, either in words or works, persevere through whatever comes no one no one can take you from the everlasting life he has prepared for you you are secure in God even if they kill you because you the scriptures say are already alive with him Paul said it in Colossians 3 3 he said your life is hidden with Christ in God so whatever they do to your life here and they leave your body in the street for three and a half days You ain't there anyway, right? You are a new creation, and we together are a light on a hill, and a light is not meant to be hidden. We are the witnesses of God in our time for this area. You and I have the stewardship through the power of the Holy Spirit of the message of the water and the blood, and nobody's gonna say it except his followers. So let's not turn the church into some other organization that does other things besides centrally being about the message of Jesus Christ and ultimately the water and the blood. We have the same spirit, folks. If you think you're ill-equipped, you're not. Because you have the same spirit as Elijah, as Moses, as Jeremiah, and the scriptures say the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. So this week, If you feel a little bit of fear in sharing your faith or praying for somebody or something, say to yourself, fear not. Lord, help me rise up. And God, you are my protection. I just want to read to you from an ancient psalm, Psalm 46, where it talks about God being our fortress. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord God, encourage your people today that you are not far from us. Indeed, we are with you. Our life is hidden with you. And Lord, 
Let me pause here and just say, Lord, you know if there's someone here who's not given their life to you. If there's someone here today who's not crossed that line of just depending on you and, and having the washing that Jesus can provide and the, and the forgiveness that he purchased through his blood, I pray that right now they would simply say yes to you. That they would receive that gift of being your secured person for the rest of eternity with you. And for all of those here that believe, Lord, empower us by your spirit to be your witnesses. But may we do that with humility and love. Lord, may we see an age of sackcloth again. An age of weeping and repenting, of people turning to you, turning away from leading their own lives or defining what is good in their own eyes. May we see people turn to you, be washed clean, and be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We want to see it, Lord. We want to be your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.